There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to All About Skills. This is a weekly series of programs about the skills that your children and grandchildren will need, skills that you need to get ahead in your career, and those that we all need to function effectively for our constitutional republic to survive. My name is Charlie Jett, and I'm coming to you from our studio high above the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in beautiful downtown Chicago. Now, in the last program, we talked about the production skill. This week, we're going to cover the information skill. So let's get started. The information skill is the skill that enables us to find, collect, sort, manage, and use information that is relevant to problems we need to solve. An information explosion has emerged over the past couple of generations due to the emergence of the internet. It has created a problem. Not that we lack information, or that we lack the technology to find data, nor is it that we lack the capacity to store data, although our storage capacity is being stretched to the limit by the sheer volume of data acquisition at an ever-increasing pace. The problem is that there is so much information. The amount of information is ex increasing exponentially so that it far exceeds our capacity to process. We don't need all the information that is available to solve problems but we do need enough information that can be tested for truth and accuracy so that appropriate analysis can be completed. The information skill is not the skill by which we design systems to process information or to seek it out on the internet and store it. That is part of the production skill. It is also not the analysis skill, although it is closely related to that skill. Rather, it's the skill that we use to find the kind of information we need to conduct an, an analysis. We seek it out, make sure that it is relevant to our problem, test it for accuracy and truth, and then perform analysis based on that information. The importance of information that is true cannot be overemphasized. While any information or data can be used as input for analysis, accurate and reliable results come only from the information that is true. Faulty information and or simple lies can distort analysis and lead to whatever results the individual using such analysis wants. This is particularly effective in promoting extreme political positions, as well as advocating reasons to start wars. An excellent example of using information that is not true was described by Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels. He said, and I quote, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent, 
For the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. Americans are also guilty of hiding the truth. For example, on Vietnam, General William Westmoreland said, and I quote, without censorship, things can get terribly confused in the public mind. The greatest monster of the 20th century, Adolf Hitler, in his book Mein Kampf in 1933 said, and I quote, the great masses of people will more easily fall victims to a big lie than to a small one. Let's take some practical examples. First, the physician. A physician will have a patient with symptoms of some sort of disease or problem. The physician examines the patient and orders a series of laboratory tests, the results of which are the kinds of information that he or she needs to make an accurate diagnosis of the problem and then prescribe appropriate treatment. The physician could perform countless other tests that may or may not be relevant to the patient's problem. More tests might be redundant and simply confirm the analysis, but the temptation exists to order more tests because of the growing risks of malpractice. More tests than are really needed have contributed significantly to rising healthcare costs as well. When it comes to medical advice, we rely on the accuracy of the test and we're not on the physician's reliance on faith. Another example is the attorney. A prosecuting attorney collects evidence regarding a crime that has allegedly been committed. He or she evaluates that evidence for relevance and admissibility and then proceeds to secure an indictment from a grand jury. An arrest warrant is issued, an arrest made, and the case goes to trial for presentation to a jury. The prosecuting attorney then develops his or her argument about the case and how the evidence must result in a conclusion to convict the defendant. At the same time, the defense attorney examines the evidence, gathers rebuttal evidence that is admissible and relevant to defend the individual, and proceeds to trial with an opposing argument for acquittal to present to the same jury. The jury must look at both the, both the evidence and the logical arguments presented by the prosecution and defense and apply its collective analysis and judgment to render a verdict in the case. Another example is the survey. We see survey results every day, such as the current popularity of the president, whether global warming is real, whether the incursion into Iraq was worth the cost, etc. The concept of a survey is simple. You have an issue that requires an opinion. You then ask people for their opinions about those issues, but you find that the process of getting accurate survey information to reflect the whole population is much more complex. There is an entire field of study concerning applied statistics and survey methodology. Proper survey methodology requires the selection of an appropriate sample to be surveyed, designing the right questions that yield information regarding the issue or issues in question, conducting the survey and collecting the data, then applying appropriate statistical adjustments to the data, data processing, conducting statistical analysis of the data to identify the findings, and drawing conclusions about the findings while taking into consideration all anticipated survey errors. 
An excellent example of someone who has demonstrated outstanding survey, survey interpretation is Nate Silver, who accurately predicted the results of the 2008 and 2012 presidential elections, although he really did blow it in 2016. The methodology used was to analyze the result of surveys taken by multiple organizations and interpreting the results. Another example is market research. The purpose of market research is to collect information about consumer needs and then apply those results to market products for sale. This effort to determine the needs and desires of consumers has been in use for years. Examples of organizations that are excellent in market research include many consumer packaged goods companies, airlines, food companies, cosmetic manufacturers, brewers of beer, and the like. Individuals who have the responsibility for a particular product within a company are called product managers and use extensive market research to tailor the elements of their marketing mix, packaging, pricing, advertising, and so forth, to the needs of their target consumers. One of the traditional cosmetic manufacturers, Revlon, conducted extensive research on the cosmetic consumer and concluded that the product they were selling was not help to make the someone look attractive, but hope to satisfy the need of the individual who wants to be attractive. Brewers of beer are always trying to identify the beer drinker. Is he or she the individual who is a connoisseur of fine ales and beers? Or is he or she the individual who buys a six-pack or a case after a hard day's work and then goes home and drinks it? The F&M Schaefer Brewing Company on Long Island concluded that the real beer drinker was the latter and designed one of the most catchy advertising slogans ever created, Schaefer is the one beer to have when you're having more than one. And it worked. Years ago, the Hubline Company wanted to increase their market share of vodka. At the time, vodka was a commodity. That is, all vodkas were pretty much the same. Hubline wanted to differentiate their vodka from all the others. Their market research revealed that the principal consumer of vodka was the family who held parties and, typical of most, wanted guests to actually see the bottles from which they were drinking, you know, the good stuff. So they repackaged their vodka with a fancy and premium label and jacked up the price to show the consumer that their vodka was top of the line. Their slogan, it leaves you breathless, and their attractive packaging made Smirnoff Vodka the best-selling vodka, or as it was rebranded later, white whiskey. The last example is management consultants. Management consultants thrive on information and data. Their expertise is the identification of important issues, collecting the data relevant to those issues, developing findings and conclusions, and making action recommendations to management. Their data collection process consists of amassing and analyzing financial data, market data, manufacturing cost data, and when the engagement requires it, organization and human resource data. A portion of the information collected by consultants is done by interviewing. This process is very disciplined, and interview guides are prepared and used during the process to ensure that all questions are asked the exact same way. They don't wing it in collecting data through interviewing. 
You should be aware by now that the information skill and the analytical skill will work together. Good analysis, critical thinking, depends on accurate information. We'll get into the details of this process in the next program. But as a preview, here's a fact to consider. It takes more mental effort to reject an idea as false than to accept it as true. In other words, it's easier to believe than to not. This fact is based on a landmark study published in the journal PLUS ONE in 2009, which asked the simple question, how is the brain activated differently during a state of belief compared to a state of dis disbelief? Greater brain activity requires more cognitive resources, of which there is a limited supply. What the findings of the studies show is that the mental process of believing is simply less work for the brain, and therefore often favored. The default state of the human brain is to accept what we are told, because doubt takes effort. It takes work. Belief, on the other hand, comes easily. Put simply, critical think thinking takes work. Just believing what you hear is much easier. So, many people take the easy path and swallow anything they hear. Now, if we want to combat the brain's habit of taking the path of least resistance, which has destructive downstream consequences for critical thinking, as a society, we must place more value on empirical evidence, that those things that are true. And this must be reflected in how we educate our youth. Additionally, we must create an awareness of the fact that for the human mind, believing is more of a reflex than a careful and methodical action. Now, as I said, we'll get into, into this more deeply in the next program when we talk about analysis. Now, taking a global perspective on the information explosion and the outlook for jobs, consider this. The World Economic Forum's Insight Report, the Future of Jobs Report 2018, presents some stunning forecasts of jobs in the near future and the skills necessary to get these jobs. The primary focus of the report is on the explosion of technological development and, in particular, information. The report states, and I quote, We stand on the brink of a technological revolution that will fundamentally alter the way we live, work, and relate to one another. In its scale, scope, and complexity, the transformation will be unlike anything humankind has ever experienced. We do not yet know just how it will unfold, but one thing is clear. The response to it must be integrated and comprehensive, involving all stakeholders of the global policy, from the public and private sectors to academia and civil society. The first industrial revolution used water and steam power to mechanize production. The second industrial revolution used electric power to create mass production. The third used electronics and information technology to automate production. Now a fourth industrial revolution is building on the third, the digital revolution that has been occurring since the middle of the last century. It is characterized by a fusion of technologies that is blurring the lines between the physical, digital, 
and biological sciences. There are three reasons why today's transformations represent not merely a prolongation of the third industrial revolution, but rather the arrival of a fourth and very distinct one. Velocity, scope, and systems impact. The speed of current breakthroughs has no historical precedent. When compared with previous industrial revolutions, the fourth is evolving at an exponential rather than a linear pace. Moreover, it is disrupting almost every industry in every country, and the breadth and depth of these changes herald the transformation of entire systems of production, management, and governance. The drivers of change of this revolution include four specific technological advances. Ubiquitous high-speed mobile internet and the worldwide accessibility of information, artificial intelligence, widespread adoption of big data and analytics, and cloud technology. These all are set to dominate the 2018 to 2022 period to positively affect business growth, and they will create a demand for new skills for people looking for jobs. Specifically, these skills will be focused on information. Now the report is quite comprehensive and we'll cover it more in detail in the program on technology. But my point, however, is this. If the information skill has been increasingly important over the past couple of decades, it's important in the future will only accelerate. To sum up and repeat, the information skill is that skill that enables us to find, collect, sort, manage, and use information that is relevant to the problem we need to solve. Effective information to be used in analysis must be true. Now in episode number four, next week, we'll talk about the analysis skill. In the meantime, give some thought to these critical skills. Again, they are communications, production, information, analysis, technology, interpersonal, time management, and continuous education. So until then, my name is Charlie Jett, and I thank you for joining me as we continue on our journey that is all about skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.